0: Welcome to the Settle Asian Real Estate Podcast. We're here to help individuals start, grow, and expand in real estate who've never had the experiences or the connections uh, to get started. So, without further ado,
1: can you explain uh, a bit of those terms, actually? You know, GP, LP, real quick for us? GP, yeah, of course. So, GP is general partner, they're generally the person in charge of the deal. They help collect financing uh, from Equity investors like LPs, and then they also in turn raise um, money from banks if they if that's in their capital stack. LPs are usually passive investors. Your um, your liability is only limited to like what you actually put in the deal. The GP could lose a lot more if they uh, put their name on the on the dotted line on the to borrow. Sometimes, from what I've seen, um, the GP might be paid like a guarantor fee if they're personally signing for the loan so that is something to uh, look out for as well do you guys have any other questions for operator risk Uh, do you guys want me to expand into anything uh there's
0: one comment i think it has to do with this section uh jay's asking about conflict of interest
1: oh yeah so when it comes to conflict of interest you have to understand like by owning your own, um, by owning the the construction company and the property management company, you have to make sure that you're getting a fair deal. Um, my family invested in a syndication in the Bay Area uh, that's been paying fairly uh, regularly, and then in January of 2021, there was a huge article that came out in an SEC investigation that he allegedly embezzled. I think like. 120 million or 115 million. So my family had personally lost some money in it, um, like a sizable six figures. And then I started to take a look into the books and then he would loan the company, like the construction company, some money from like the holding entity. And then when the loans came in, there wouldn't be any like liquid cash in the account. So Conflicts of interest, like you have to make sure that they're all on the same page. Um, I've seen some other syndicators use third-party management just because their core thing of what they want to focus on is just pleasing their residents and their um, investors. If property management is a very like high-touch, low-profit uh, business, so it really depends on the uh, GPLP structure or uh, on the conflicts of interest. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, thanks. Cool, all right. Uh, let's move on to deal risk. So two parts of the deal, the deal, the operator. There could be certain things that you don't, you just don't like about a deal. Um, first of all, where's it located? Depending on which part of the U- United States, you could have different um, different investment strategies. If you are looking for buy and like value add buy and hold, then maybe like Dallas could be a great area for you, or Phoenix, or some like growth markets. If you're looking for high cash flow but not much appreciation, then the Midwest might be right for you. If you're looking for like a very 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 safe deal, a very core deal, um, then like cities like LA, San Francisco, New York, uh, and Chicago might be known. I mean, those may have fluctuated, but those are all tier one cities. Um, So the deal and the investment strategy highly influences the deal risk. Two would be underwriting risks and assumptions. Underwriting is both an art and a science, and it heavily revolves around different, um, different assumptions. Like my underwriting for my own units could be different from what the bank does. And so... If you're going to be passively investing into someone's deal you need to trust them that also means that you need to trust their underwriting if you're able to recreate numbers that are similar to the, what they have and if those assumptions are fairly correct then i would i would trust them uh you have to look at your submarket risk so depending on the on the certain part of the city if it's This correlates to crime. What does higher crime mean? It might mean higher vacancy, higher turnovers. That's more expensive for you from a property management perspective. If it's in a lower class area, then your tenant base might uh, damage some of your units and, or like your appliances might need to get fixed a lot. It's higher management costs. Ultimately your money's in the deal. You need to figure that out. If it's a brand new construction and, they've leased it up and they're selling it as like a very turnkey operation. Your risk is going to be lower, but your um, returns might also be a little lower as well. And physical building due diligence. Uh, this, I don't know how, um, how relevant this is to you as an LP investor, but it is important to know what kind of building you're buying in the physical condition of it. There could be a lot of um, like deferred maintenance, which is, And then you need to make sure that the syndicator has factored enough money for it. Usually construction budgets do not, uh, like whatever a contractor will tell you, tack on another 10 to 15% because you will usually go over and it might go over budget or over schedule, excuse me. Um, And then you also need to figure out like financing of the deal. How is this going to be structured? This kind of ties back into, um, into operator risk where you don't want to be over levered. If you're putting up, if your capital is the 10% for the equity needed for the down payment, and then you're using the other 90% from a loan from a bank or a credit union, what kind of loan is it? Is it a construction loan? Construction loans, they have a certain timeline. Afterwards, the interest on that starts to get really expensive. So you need to make sure that it's financing is all there, and it's not sketch. Do you guys have any questions or everything clear? Is there anything that you guys wanna know more about?
2: Yeah, I, I had a question. Would you yeah, kind of like all this deal risk kind of analysis, if you're going in as an LP, would you suggest you do your due diligence um, as well? Because usually like you leave it up to, to them to handle that, right? Or, or do you say you, you think we should actually like do
1: it, like go through that process too and do, do the calculations? Trust, but verify. Um, Trust, but verify. I mean, at the end of the day, like what is underwriting? It's numbers on the spreadsheet. So if you can recreate uh, their, the syndicators like spreadsheet and their logic behind it, then that would give me confidence in like, oh yeah, like I, that's believable. For example, if someone wrote that, like, okay, like rent premiums are going to be like 10%, but historically, like maybe they had like a very hot year. But are they, like, why is 10% pretty solid? Like, why wouldn't rent be uh, increased at, like, the consumer price index of, like, 2 or 3%? Are their expenses, like, believable? Are they, like, you should still do your due diligence. Um, yeah, D- does that answer your question? No, it does. Got it. Anyone else have a question? Is there anything in the chat or...
3: I can also address that question, Jay, if it's okay. Yeah, so um, financial due diligence is a really great question that I personally have too when it comes to evaluating an investment summary, especially when it's not multifamily, it's another commercial asset and I don't understand what kind of assumptions go into it. So um, I'll share this a little later when I speak, but my strategy is always to ask experts who specialize in just that. So I um, I, I asked one of my friends who underwrites hundreds of deals for a real estate company to just open up a pro forma and walk me through sell by sell on a spreadsheet, what do these numbers mean? What do they typically mean? What do they include, et cetera? But big picture, I mean, there's some simple things that you can check to see if it's sketch or not, right? But big picture, you as a you know 50 to 200 thousand dollar investor don't have much say in the deal. You have to say yes or no, right? It's not like the syndicator is going to go in and change the pro forma just to suit your needs. So Um, I wouldn't spend too much energy into looking at it, but just if it looks sketchy, you'll know. Yeah,
2: yeah, Yeah, that's that's the thing. I don't know if it looks sketched. I'm like, okay. I have a
3: workshop on that this weekend. Good
2: good return. I I like it, but I guess having that lens or being able to do those things. I'm
3: I'm hosting a workshop exactly on that topic for that exact reason this weekend. So just a little plug here.
1: (laughs) That's that's pretty solid. Yeah. And then um, going back into some of your risks as an LP, Talk with other LPs. I mean, you should always like cross-reference like any sort of references, especially if you're gonna be investing a significant sum of money. Um, My, like I I was sketched out with this particular investment from my parents when a few of my family friends' parents had, um, they'd start to pull out. I was afraid about his leverage. And then what was, I'm not gonna say sketchy, but he did ask other people to refer uh, him to two other people to invest, so that kind of sounds like an MLM scheme. But just one little red flag going off in my head. Um, ask them why do they like their sponsor? Uh, do they have nice quarterly updates? Um, do they say what they say that they're going to do and they actually execute? What specifically about them do they like? The risk profile of the deals? Do they like their buy and hold strategy? Maybe it's a flip. I don't know. Um, do your own underwriting, see if the deal pencils out. We've kind of touched upon it. Spend some time, don't spend that much time though. Um, do you like the sub-market? Are you bullish on the area, on the in, on the investment? Does it fit your return profile with the GPLP split? So Jay, you had said earlier about like, if the rate, if the return is really high, then it's good. But keep in mind that higher return also is corresponded with higher risk. So, See what you have the risk appetite for. Usually as you ate, I don't want to make any sort of general comments, but from what I've seen, my parents, as they go, uh, as they get older, then their risk profile decreases and they don't want to take out that much leverage. Um, And then how much are you willing to stomach? So where is this money going to come from? How much can you afford to lose? Because sometimes like don't, you might lose it, which is a, very real risk, especially in real estate, where it's the Wild West. And with that being said, are there any other questions?
0: Thoughts on your preference for smaller syndicators versus larger ones that are uh, like uh, larger corporate companies?
1: Mm, I mean, with larger ones, you'll have a lot more resources. My parents, uh, I think one of the syndications that they do has like a billion five or two billion in syndication in uh, asset value another one i think they have like 150 million 200 million i mean so we tend to skew like i i personally would go into bigger syndications um but that's just me i also just want to buy my own stuff so
2: oh i I had another question um how about like a local syndication like i i know there's a few in the bay area and before it kind of made sense you can kind of like show up and meet them and like say hi and stuff like that i mean does it really matter anymore if they're based here or
1: in Texas or Florida? Like, does no, I mean, no, I've bought like an apartment building that I've never seen. So, I mean, okay. I, I wouldn't spend too much time. It, it, it's just a matter of like, do you trust them with money? Because after, you need to have a few conversations with them, right? Like it's, if you're not comfortable putting in that, that amount of money, then why would you? this should be a no-no. Nice. Summarize, deal, operator a risk and uh, risk has an LP.
0: Awesome, so we'll open up uh, to the room for questions and then also uh, Jen, um, if you wanted to share anything about what you're working on or the 506B club.
3: Yeah, I think it'll be a really good resource for the people in this group who, are, who have questions like Jay's. So, oh, actually hold on, there's a question from Michael. What's the average return on investing in syndication? Um, I, I can take that it, question or go ahead it, go ahead.
1: It, it, it depends. I mean, I'm curious to hear your thoughts too, but like my, my, it depends on your risk profile and like what you've been used to investing in. Um, I will look at, or like, I'll tell my parents to look at something. If it's over 12%, like 12 to 15 is like what they're looking for. Um, but I mean, it, it all depends like to you, 8% might be a really good return because you're investing in like CDs or like treasury bonds. If you're investing in like high growth tech ETFs, then your real estate's not gonna have as high of a return. So it really depends on your personal um, experience. Jen, I'm curious to hear it.
3: I was just gonna say syndication is a vehicle. So the deal returns are whatever the returns the real estate produces minus a little bit for fees and um, management, asset management and fees.
1: Oh, yeah. One thing that I forgot, actually, on the operator risk. watch out for the, make sure that you know where the fees are going. Um, so traditionally, you'll have a 1%, like 1% to 5% acquisition fee. That's happened. That happens when you buy the building. You have an asset management fee. So like, for example, like 2% might be uh, like every year, the asset value, 2% of that goes to fees for the syndicator to make sure that the lights stay on in the investment company. And then sometimes if you dispose of the property, there could be like a disposition fee, which could be like 0.5 to 1%. Cool.
3: Um, I, I can introduce myself and then maybe share a little about my experience. So thanks Mohit for doing all of the nuts and bolts. Uh, I won't be talking much about that unless there's specific questions. So, um, I started in real estate five, six years ago now I'm 27 and, um, I started with residential. I wanted to be a wholesaler, make a bunch of money with none of my own and had an epic fail there and had to move back in with my mom and paid back lots of money on high interest credit cards. So uh, on education and mentors that I paid for. Um, So long story short, I ended up working for a turnkey rental company. We were helping Bay Area tech people park their money into Texas turnkey rentals. And a year into working at that company, my boss learned about syndications and was like, wow, this makes so much sense. Economies of scale, um, big properties, diversification. So he started sponsoring um, all kinds of commercial real estate deals. And during my four years at that company, I got to uh, firsthand uh, raise capital for retail, office, industrial, multifamily, land entitlement, assisted living, Uh, probably some other assets. So I I got to experience all of it, which was really great because I think a lot of people who start out in in syndications, they go into multifamily first because it's familiar, it's relatable. When in fact, actually commercial multifamily is quite different, but anyway. um, And the other thing is I caution people about committing to just multifamily because a lot of new syndicators do the same thing they start syndicating just multifamily when they start out. And uh, it it gets overcrowded with a lot of newbies. Um, So just a word of caution there, I've I've invested in multifamily syndications. Um, Currently I hold uh, multifamily raw land. Both of those are not performing at all this year (laughs) because of COVID. Um, But I do have four industrial deals that are, uh, one of them just exited, but they are cash cows. 20 year leases, triple net lease, which means that the tenant pays their own taxes, uh, insurance and improvements. If you're used to rent, uh, investing in rentals, if something breaks in the rental, it's up to you to pay that fee. No, these guys self-manage so you are guaranteed the same check in your bank account for a, up to you know, a 20 year lease. Um, so for me, I like stability. I like those. I know self-storage has very similar return structures especially if they're automated, all those, there are some models that are more risky. Um, Amazon warehouses, and also um, I am in short-term loans as well. So first deed mortgages, and those pay a flat anywhere from eight to 12% interest depending on the project. Um, Those get taxed as regular, uh, ordinary income, but uh, on a 1099, whereas with syndications, they gets taxed to you. You get a K-1 document at the end of the year um, and the depreciation from the asset often, um, what's the word, offsets the uh, income that you make from the rents. So some tax differences there. Oh, there's uh, also
0: um, a fun way to avoid taxes. If you do it with like a self-directed IRA, you can also use that to avoid uh, your, 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 day-to-day taxes until later.
3: Correct. So I actually have my land deal in my Roth IRA, which is great because it's a huge appreciation play. And, uh, it, it's pretty strategic for me to put the Roth in there. However, um, it is leveraged. And so I have to figure out the UBIT stuff when it exits. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my due diligence strategy. Uh, I am not a numbers person. I, I understand that numbers are really important, which is why I asked my friends who are experts. And that's why I'm having that due diligence course where um, my friend slash ex-colleague actually is going to go sell by sell through two different pro formas. Uh, Nelson, is it okay if I promote this a little bit? Because I think it would actually be a really great resource. Sure, go ahead. Okay, cool. Sell by sell through um, two different pro forma spreadsheets. One is a value-add multifamily. One is a stabilized industrial deal. And every single cell, they say, this is what's typical for an acquisition fee. This is what's typical in reserves. This is what it includes. This is what's typical, blah, blah, blah. These are different names for these types of fees. This is different ways that a syndicator can hide fees under these line items. And how do you catch that and know? And it's like a very comprehensive, detailed, um, webinar two hours long. And, uh, I've made a post about it in Sarah. So, uh, my strategy is all about network. So I, I think one of my superpowers is reading people and I make my decisions based off of, do I vibe with this person? Does my, uh, ethics slash integrity radar feel good about them? And what are other people saying about them? Like for me, I know things that a lot of people don't know about these syndicators that you would never find out if you just watched a presentation, attended a lunch meeting, um, read an investment summary. I know things like, you know, how are they spending their personal finances? Um, Are they faithful to their wives? I don't know, this may be TMI. But um, I'm a real judge of character and I, I base my decisions off of that, but how do I get that information? I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people. And when I was working at the previous syndicating syndications company, I started a real estate investment club so that I could be the hub for information and also rub elbows with national, you know, big players. Um, So the resource that I created for myself, really um, fun fact about me, I moved to Bulgaria last year, so I don't live in the States anymore. And uh, I was trying to make some investments at the end of the year. And I didn't know where to put my money because I wasn't in, I wasn't an insider anymore. I didn't know what was going on anymore. And um, I created the 506 club. It's a Facebook group that connects LPs with GPs, accredited and sophisticated investors with syndicators. And I have these, uh, a lot of different events, like Shark Tank style pitch fest, where you can get exposed rapid fire to um, people who syndicate multifamily or non-multifamily commercial or non-commercial or non-real estate assets. Um, and also I had a due diligence panel earlier this week. That was the big topic this month. I have um, people sharing 101 questions to ask a syndicator before you invest with them. And a lot of really great resources that other LPs and GPs are sharing within the group too. So um, I can drop a link later if you guys wanna join the community. It's It's been really helpful for me also To do my due diligence on different sponsors and most of my conversations happen in the in the private messenger because a lot of these guys who are high net worth who are real players don't like to be very public um, in a public place like facebook so yeah i mean if you have questions about anyone specifically i if i know anything about them i'm happy to tell you things that i hear there's some very big syndicators for example who have amazing reputations amazing educational companies um, amazing marketing And then I hear from someone, by the way, their project is delayed by 10 years. By the way, there's five investors trying to sue them, but their PPM is watertight and they don't know what to do. Things like that. I I get to hear about things like that. So um, that's a little bit about what I have to offer here. I think I took a few notes, actually, of um, things I wanted to share also. Um, oh, so I like to invest with operators who specialize in a specific thing. I know Mohit talked about, um, investing with large investment companies, and it's a great way if you're not willing to commit that much into researching into things, um, to get access to a lot of deals and a lot of variety and deal flow. But for me, since I talk to a lot of people, I want to find the guy who specializes in this market or this asset, and he operates his own deals and he, he. Really, really knows this stuff, and you have direct access and they have direct control over the deal. Now, some of the benefits of investing with a sponsor who just capital raises for one of these operators, you want to check first of all how far down the chain are they? Because the further they are removed, first of all, there's more fees with every daisy chain and also less control, right? But for example, there is this one deal um, that's super juicy, but the minimum investment is $1 million. And there's a A sponsor who is buying million dollar shares and then breaking it down into 100k shares for investors like me and you all or whoever. So those are some value adds that you can get through investing through a sponsor. I'm not saying never do it because I I also have investments through sponsors too. Um, And then the last thing I want to say is know your strength, know your strategy and what works for you. What works for me may not work for any of you. You know, you might not be willing to spend a ton of time, hours every day on Facebook messenger. (laughs) So yeah. Okay. So what do I think about using CrowdStreet versus finding individual syndicators? I think CrowdStreet is a great platform to learn about new syndicators and try them out once. And once you have a relationship with them, then take it off CrowdStreet because they charge so much in fees. But from uh, my GP friends who have applied to be on the CrowdStreet platform, they do do a lot of very, very tight screening. So I would say it would reduce your due diligence risk quite a bit.
0: Jen, sorry if you covered this earlier. Um, My mind was kind of blown once you started talking about the different types of things that can be syndicated. I think I didn't recover after that part. Oh, Um, But how did you decide to get into syndicating and then all the different uh, I guess asset classes that you do participate in syndications for, if and I then also, <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> go ahead, Sorry. And then also, um, your club is five hundred six B. I've got a Google tab here. I'm going to do some research, but I wanted to ask what the difference between a, a B and a C is.
3: Yeah. So the first question: How did I get exposed to so many assets? Um, my my boss. Uh, okay. Uh, my, my The previous company I worked for was called Wilson Investment Properties. The reason why I haven't been mentioning their name right lately is because I would not put my money with them right now. And if you want to know exactly why, you can message me later. But um, when he started syndicating real estate deals, he sponsored pretty much all of the commercial deals out there, all of the asset types. So I got exposed and I saw the pros and cons of each as, a, as its own business model. So I got familiar that way. I would say Um, There's no such thing as a risky investment, only a risky investor. So if you go in blind and not really understanding an asset, really take the time to understand an asset, first of all, um, because that that will greatly reduce your risk. Uh, Meaning if someone just says this asset is good, don't follow that advice blindly and also find out if it aligns with your values. The second question is, what is the difference between a 506B and C deal? So, in syndications, uh, syndications are regulated by SEC Regulation D Rule five hundred six B and C. Five hundred six C is for accredited investors only, meaning you have to have a net worth of at least one million dollars or annual income of two hundred thousand dollars. Sorry, the net worth is excluding your primary residence because that's not inclu- uh, counted as an investment. You have to have an annual income of two hundred k or household income of three hundred k and be able to prove that that was your income for the last two years and projected to be for the next two years. And there's third-party platforms that'll do this verification process based off of your tax returns and bank accounts, et cetera. Um, Why accredited deals? Why do syndicators choose to syndicate 506Cs? Oh, and 506B is for non-accredited investors, sophisticated investors who can make a smart investment decision, but they don't meet these net worth or income criteria. 506 B or C actually have nothing to do with how good or risky a deal is. It's just a way to file the deal with the SEC. Why do some syndicators go with 506 C is because you can advertise to the public. And the law was written that way probably like early 1900s, because at the time the the philosophy was um, if you have high enough. Network or in- net worth or income, you can afford to lose money on a bad investment versus these smaller investors. We have to protect them, so you have to be—they have to be in your network. And the SEC law does not define this very clearly. They say something like, um, "You have to have a, a warm relationship," or they have to be in your network. So some lawyers interpret that to be you've met them in person. Other lawyers say you have to have three warm touches, meaning they attended a webinar and then you had a discovery call and then you, you know. Every syndicator has their own rules. I've seen other people say, you join my email list, you're in my network. Watch out for those. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, They may be a little desperate. So what else? Those are the differences between 506 B and C. And oh, one more thing I want to warn you against. There's going to be a lot of capital raisers, sponsors who boast very high uh, number of doors or uh, assets under management, like these Big numbers, right? And on the due diligence panel that I hosted last week, I learned that this is actually fraud. They cannot legally say that. They have to say, I have raised a portion of the equity for X amount of assets under management or X number of doors. Otherwise, it's completely misleading. They do not own that much property. So there's one guy I know, um, and you can message me for the name later, (laughs) uh, who who had been syndicating for two years and he had 50 syndications completed and like, I don't know how many million, hundreds of millions of assets under management. And it's just him and his partner. And I'm like, how the heck did you do that? And it turns out he's raising like a fraction of the equity for these big deals, but he's claiming it like he owns those big deals. So be really wary about that too.
2: What's the amount that, you should usually raise versus how much debt? I mean, I guess every situation is a bit different, but what's a good um, marker to look at when you're doing like, you know, commercial versus like residential multi-unit apartment complexes?
3: Yeah. So it does depend on the asset type. Like for example, multifamily gets excellent financing. Um, If, if there's something like very wrong with the multifamily, then you might get less than 80% LTV, but right now it's very attractive and the interest rate's really low. So you, it's not a red flag to see multifamily properties leveraged at 80%. It's actually, um, you'd be questioning why it has low LTV depending on the, what they plan to do. If it's value add, that's a different story. Um, versus other types of properties, banks don't like as much and they have to get other types of loans like CMBS or, um, uh, and by the way, this is all going to be covered in my financial due diligence course this weekend too, like all the different types of loans and what kind of terms they have and typically how that affects the financials. So I'm not an expert on this topic, but your question will be answered if, um, if you attend that. So uh, typically what I look for in a sponsor, it depends also on the deal size, but if they're investing 10 to 15% equity of the equity, that's a pretty healthy co-invest. Sponsor co-invest generally shows how confident they are and it aligns them with your interests in one more way. Um, But I have invested in deals where the sponsors only invested 5% of the entire equity, but it was because it was such a big deal that 5% was a big number already.
0: To tie on to that last question, so if LTV is 80% and you need to raise 20%, uh, do sponsors or syndicators usually, like how much above that 20% are they looking to raise? How much buffer do they they generally want?
3: So generally they charge anywhere from 1% to 3% of an acquisition fee. Sometimes they charge a 1% loan guarantor fee if they have to personally sign on the loan and have recourse. Um, And then also any budget for obviously improvements and things like that. Sometimes they'll get a construction loan too and uh, reserves. So one of the things actually that, I, that, that you can tell a, a beginner versus a more experienced syndicator is legal fees. Um, some sen- newer syndicators will put like $10,000 under legal fees for the entire life of the syndication, which will cover the cost of them creating their PPM, which is the legal document that you need to invest. Um, and they won't leave anything for what ifs Right. Sometimes you'll see that built into the reserves, too. But uh, that's something that I learned recently from a more experienced indicator that I thought was a really good thing to know.
2: And, and you, can you ask them for all this information? I mean, these are probably dumb yes. questions. Yes. But
3: you we'll you can ask them. them. Now, most of them will give you a pro forma summary. They will not give you the all the sell of the spreadsheet unless you're a substantial investor. It's just like oh. the 101 questions you can ask a syndicator before you invest. If you're putting in 50K, don't ask 101 questions. Don't ask for all of the financials. They will probably reply to you after the raise is closed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, but it, it is fair to ask for the financials and we'll send you probably a summary.
2: Okay. Yeah. Is a question from, Yeah, go, go ahead, finish up.
3: Yeah, that should include the loan terms, the sources, the uses of funds, um, the investor payment schedule. And it should also include a high level of the deal financials too. So you can compare um, deal returns versus investor returns and what that spread is. And um, uh, there's many different ways to calculate this. And the guy who's actually doing the seminar this weekend uh, explained to me different ratios that you can calculate that are not actually in the pro forma that they give you these ratios help you determine if they're taking too much, if they're being too greedy. So I I don't remember what that is, but.
0: So there's a question here from Michael. I had a similar question. So I'm gonna combine the two of them as I read this out. Um, Michael asks, what's the minimum investment in terms of dollars for LP investors? Uh, And then my my add on to this is, is there a difference between 506B and 506C in terms of uh, minimum investment requirements that you've seen?
3: Yeah, it's arbitrary, but in general, you will not see less than 50k for a 506c just because if you're accredited you have bigger chunks of money to invest Um, for 506b deals i've seen for sure 10k i've seen 5k in reg a funds not in a syndication so yeah i would say 10k is the lowest i've seen in a syndication
0: Jen, any plans for you? Uh, I'm assuming that my question here is under the assumption that you're an LP and all the deals that you're in. Yes. I'm not a that's, GP. I don't plan on being true. a GP. No plans?
3: No plans. Oh, why I moved to Bulgaria is because I married a Bulgarian and then we inherited his family's beekeeping business. So my full-time hustle is keeping bees and selling Bulgarian honey around the world. So I don't have time to be a GP.
0: <laughs> Very cool.
3: But uh, since I started the investor club, I have actually had a lot of people reach out to me, asking me to do different kinds of consulting to help them be better GPs and build their marketing. So I I am open to little things here and there, but I'm beekeeping most of the time.
2: (laughs) Oh, I I have another, I don't wanna be asking all the questions and taking up everyone's, I I had had one more. Yeah. Um, If you're a small business owner and you're, let's say you get losses from your syndication, Mm-hmm. I mean, have people figured out, can you write them off? Like, how do you, or is that because one's active and one's passive, mm-hmm. you can't do it. Like, how are people doing that in terms of like from a tax perspective? Like what's the- I, I don't think you
3: what's can kind do of, that like, with the, the syndication. Standard stuff? I don't think you can do that for a syndication. Um, I have to get back to you on that answer. Do you mind messaging me on Facebook later with your question? I think I know the person I can ask.
2: Yeah, I, I already messaged you about the- rules Oh, sweet. Stuff, So awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get
0: time for that stuff later. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Jen. I don't think we have anything else. Anything else, Nelson? Annie?
2: Nope. Great job, y'all.
0: Okay. If that, if not, then let's end the call here. Thank you so much, Jen.
3: Thank you. seeing
0: everybody.
1: Thanks, Jen. Thank you. Bye. Then let's end the call here. Thank
0: you so much, Jen.
2: Thank you. Good seeing Thanks everybody.
0: Thanks, Jen. Thank you. Bye. Bye.